I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been talking to you about the kingdom of God. There's been this great, great misnomer, or it's an erroneous teaching that the kingdom of God is the thousand-year reign. I don't believe in that at all. I didn't believe in that when I would hear my father and all of his friends preach about it in when I was a kid, I thought, how can that be? There was a verse that really puzzled me, and it's over here in Revelation, the the 20th chapter, when it talks about the thousand years. This really puzzled me because I do not believe thousand is the word thousand. I went through a teaching where I said, there were no zeros in the in the first century in the Greek language. No zeros. You could not have one zero zero zero. The zeros are not there. It actually says Kilia, C H I L I or C H I L O I Kilioi. Kilioi is the word thousand. I believe it has to be either. The best writers will tell you, you have to have a determiner. A determiner before the word kilia or kilioi to tell whether it's, whether it's one. It has to have one thousand in order to be 1,000. If no one is there, or no two is there, then it depends on the context. It will tell you that this is plural. Plural, in when you look it up. It's plural, that means it's 2,000 or more. The when you get into studying numbers, I do not believe the translators knew much of anything about numbers because they don't even mention any of that. Now, kingdom of God. Let me give you something on kingdom. The word kingdom, every time you find it, it's the word basilia. B A S I L E I A. E, I, that's the word kingdom. Kingdom. Then you have the word basiluan. B-A-S-I-L-I-O-N. B-A-S-I-L-I-O-N. Basilion is mentioned one time in the Bible, and it is King's Court. It's actually the word court is what it is. Let me give you some more of these. Then you have Basilios. B-A-S. Notice they all come from the word kingdom. Basilios, B-A-S-I-L. I-U-B-A-S-I-L-E-U-S, B-S-I-L-E-U-S. And that is the word king. All through the New Testament, 
This word king is mentioned 118 times. This word basilion is mentioned one time. The word basilia, which means kingdom, is mentioned one time. And then you've got, and you can get this out of a word study concordance. If you got that, just look up kingdom. It'll go from one page to the other telling you all these words. And it'll show you all the times they're mentioned. Then you have the word basilio. B-A-S-I-L-E-U-O. Basilio uh, means shall reign. Shall reign. So all of these are forms of the word kingdom. And then you have, that is mentioned 21 times. 21 times. And then you have this word Basilicos, B-A-S-I-L-I-K-O-S. When you look at the term St. Peter's Basilica, that is that head of the Roman Catholic Church in Rome, Italy. It's not St. Peter's Kingdom. That's what that means, St. Peter's Basilicus. And that word Basilicus is a mean that word that means royal or nobleman. Notice every one of these are merely forms of the word kingdom. And then you this is then you have the word basis. Basis is a form of the word kingdom. And it means the feet or the walk. We walk in the kingdom. That's what we walk in. And we're to walk righteously when we are in the kingdom of God. Now, I've been going through some of the verses on the kingdom of God, and I'm going to continue to go through that. The kingdom of God is the church, and we rule with the scepter of righteousness in the kingdom. Why are we ruling? Because God, let me go through this very slow and very simple. Because, look over here in Revelation. I've given it to you before, but I don't think I can give you these things once. And you get a hold of all of it. Revelation 1 and 6 says, God hath made us kings and priests. Hath made is aorist indicative. It's one word. It's E-P-O-L-E-O. E-P-O. Hath made is aorist indicative. It's aorist tense, indicative mood. When you couple aorist with indicative, what that is, every time you see aorist indicative, it is past tense. It's past tense. It means something 
that God has already done. He's already made us priests and kings. I've said this. Well, let's look at one more place here. In the fourth chapter of Revelation, the Bible says in verse 10, And he hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. But not just we shall reign. The Bible says, and we have reigned several times. We have reigned, and we are reigning, and we shall reign. Because the kingdom of God is the church. The Bible says, the kingdom of God is in you. Now let's look and look at that verse. What we're reigning with. Let's go back over here to Hebrews, the first chapter. Here's what we reign with. This is hard for people to come to for you to reign this way. All right. In the first chapter of Hebrews, I'm going to tell you about some of my personal experiences how to reign with the Lord. All right. Hebrews 1 and verse 8. But unto the Son he saith, Thy kingdom of God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Scepter is the word rabdos. R-A-B-D-O-S. Rabdos means a ruling staff. Something that you rule with. This word righteous, it's not the common word righteous. The common word righteous is D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. That word D-K-A-O-S-U-N-E comes from the word D-I-K-A-I-O-O, which is the word justify, means to render innocent. This is the word this word righteous means to do what is D-I-K-E. These are variations of the word D-I-K-E, which means right. Now, you can say, I don't know what righteous means. Do you know what right is? If you know what's right, you know what righteous means. That's not this word in Hebrews 1 and 8. That word Hebrews 1 and 8 is a word uh, that it's talking about when he says righteousness is the word euthetes, E-U, E-U-T-H-E-T-E-S. That's the word righteous that we rule with. This is what we rule with. If we're in the kingdom of God, he's made us kings and priests. We rule with this euthetase. It, it's a form. It comes from U and T-I-T-H-E-M-I. It means a well. You've seen U on the word eulogy. E-U-L-O-G-Y. That's where you go to a funeral and you say well logos words. You say well words over somebody up there that doesn't deserve your well words. So this means well. Antithema means to, means to level. 
It means a well-leveling to the will of God. That's how you rule people. I've had many experiences in this in my life. I've decided I have t-shirts of all kind made up. And I've got predestinations true. I believe it's in the Bible. I've got my favorite shirt is is God does not love everybody. I always get comments on that. But I've been thinking about what would make people comment, challenge them, challenge them with something that they're going to have to answer. And I thought of lately, I want to get a shirt made up of, and it says, would it bother you if I talk about Jesus? I hope somebody will read that. Say, well, what do you want to say? That'll open the door. What will it bother you if I talk about Jesus? Because people want to comment when they think you're just a Christian to go some of the Baptist church or something. Well, when you're getting, when you want to rule with the scepter of righteousness, I got one guy that used to give me a hard time every time he'd see me. And he was a Baptist that I worked in real estate with. One time I was in a, this is ruling with a scepter of righteousness. And he did all three things to me. And he he knew better than to, to yank my chain. Because when he yanked my chain, I was going to respond. I was in the drugstore picking up some medication. And they had a, this was an old, the old Hendersonville drug, and they had a, a table over here by the little fountain, which they don't have anymore. But he was sitting with a bunch of builders and things over there. He saw me picking up my medicine. And he said, Hey, Brown, can an eight-year-old girl die and go to hell? I said, Hey, Bill, does an eight-year-old girl know right from wrong? He said, yeah. I said, the Bible says that him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not. To him it is sin. Yes, if she doesn't repent, she'll go to hell. And he went, Phew. he shut his mouth. The same guy, same guy, he knows I won't put up with his mouth. He walked up to me at Ace Hardware, back in the back where nobody was there. He said, hey, Brown, I listened to you on radio how in the hell do you learn all those words? I said, well, I don't learn them in hell. I said, what I do is I go home and study every night. I just said, I don't learn them in hell. And, and he knew I would get him for that. So I waited till he got up to check out. And I was there. And I started talking about Jesus and God and so forth. And when he's just wanting to hide. Now, I had another situation from a guy. Now, this is how you rule with the serpent. You've got to be prepared to say something and make it biblical. I had another guy who was, who was, a, he was a retired Marine. He had been in some, some high place in the Marine Corps. And I went into an office to pick up a key when I was showing real estate. And this is how you rule with the scepter of righteousness. And he come out, and there was three of these plastic women sitting on the, the couch waiting for their customers to come in. You know what I mean by plastic? They looked plastic. 
and I went in to pick up a key. And he come out and said, I feel great today. I feel good. I said, oh, you must have Jesus in your heart then. And he's, he's, it's so embarrassing for those women. He started cussing. I said, well, I can tell you don't have Jesus in your heart by what's coming out of your mouth. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, i got to get out of here. And he just ran there that way. He was not going to listen to me correct him. That's how you rule with a scepter of righteousness. How do you administer being a king if you're priests and kings? Well, there's a verse over here that says, John 7, 24. This is how you... This is how, what the kings do. They declare righteous judgment. John 7 and 24. Judge. Judge not according to the appearance. That's what people, they, if you start telling people the truth, they'll say, Judge not. They don't even know this verse is here. Judge righteous judgment. And when they quote judge not, they don't have any idea where that is. My mother-in-law, she passed away back in the 90s. She used to say, the Bible says not to judge. I said, no, it doesn't. She'd say, yes, it does. I'd say, no, it doesn't say that. She'd say, yes, it does. I'd say, where? I know she didn't know. Well, I don't know. It's in there somewhere. (laughs) She did not know what Jesus was saying. She was typical, ignorant, old country woman. I don't put her down. She was just country. As country as country can be. And so I told her. I said, I looked at her and I said, you think maybe it's in Matthew 7 and 1? She'd go, like, oh goodness, he knows something I don't know. I'll tell you what it says. When it says, judge not, it doesn't say don't judge. It doesn't say don't pronounce righteous judgment. Anytime you start a sentence, I learned this somewhere in the sixth grade or seventh grade, I don't know where. Anytime you start a sentence with a verb, there's an understood subject. This is a verb. There's an understanding subject. You judge not. Don't you do the crino is the word judge. It means to decide guilt or or innocent don't decide if somebody is innocent just because they're your friend because you're on their side you can't do that you have to judge the judgment of God and judge and 724, don't look at the outward appearance. I don't really care if I like somebody. Both of these guys that I told you about were real likable guys, very friendly. 
except Bill. He was always trying to start something with me. He knew if he started something. I walked up his car one night. He said something about damn. I said, where'd you learn that in Sunday school? Or something about hell. I'll say that. Did you learn that in Sunday school or what? I said with all the authority I can. I don't really like any cursing at all. Ever. If you come to my house, don't think you can cuss or bring a beer with you because you can't. I'll say, well, it's time for you to leave. You just got here. Time to go. You can't do that on my property. You can't even do that here. I've had people leave here, walk outside, and say some cuss word on the parking lot. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I just talked about living godly inside there, and you're out here cussing like that? Well, I'm sorry. I said, don't tell me you're sorry. Tell God you're sorry, okay? And then it's over. That's all I've got to say. You can't stop people from their sin until God convicts their heart. Now, we're talking about this kingdom of God. I've been going through some Bible verses talking about the kingdom. I want to go back through some of the ones I haven't gotten to. I've only gotten to a few. I want to go back over here to the kingdom of God is in you. That's Luke 17, 20, and 21. The kingdom doesn't come with observation. It's not going to be a kingdom where you can see it for a thousand years in eternity. There's no such thing. Let me remind you, besides the kingdom of God being in you, there is no such thing as a millennium. I mean, I need to go ahead and give you that before I go any further. Go over here to Revelation 10. I'm going to be talking to you about the end of time. The end of time is, this is a profound statement, the end of of time is the end of Babylon. Remember, Babylon is the mother of all idolatry, mother of harlots. If you in Babylon and Babylon was founded on they had one religion. It was They invented it in Genesis 11 and 4 when they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they said, let us build us a city and a tower. Tower is the word migdal. M-I-G-D-O-L. And migdal means a pulpit or a rostrum. This is a pulpit or rostrum right here. That's a rostrum. And here's this is their message. Let us make us a name. That verse convicted my heart more than any verse in the Bible after I had spent years out on the road trying to be famous in the music business. I woke up one day and said, that's me. Oh, God, don't kill me. 
It happened all of a sudden. Let us make us a name is one of the most evil doctrines. It's the very doctrine of the mother of all idolatry. Harlotry is the word porne, P-O-R-N-E. And it means idolatry. And idolatry is the Greek word E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. It comes from ido and latruo. It means to serve, latruo, what you see, what you put into your eyes and your ears. Now, that's the truth. Look over here. I've got to remind you of this each time I teach on it because it's very important to understand. When you look at the end of Babylon, the Bible teaches Babylon is going to end with fire. Let me show you some things about the fire it's going to end with. Look here, you've got the end of Babylon all that's expressed all through the Bible. God did bring a flood and he said it'll never flood again, destroy all of mankind. But he didn't say I won't bring a fire to destroy all of mankind. Fire is the way Babylon ends. And the fire is the destruction. The fire is destruction. Of all her goods or her merchandising. Her merchandising, the Bible speaks of that in Revelation 18. Her, the merchants of the earth will be weeping when they see the smoke of the burning of Babylon. They're going to see, you know what that is? That's economy collapsing. It's the economy. Are we seeing that happen today in the world? I looked up on the internet the other day. How many nations in the world are on the verge of economic collapse? The United States, Russia, Great Britain, Greece, Italy, and the list goes on for 28 nations. The whole world's on the verge of collapsing inward. That is the end of Babylon by a fire, in a sense. Let me show you something here. We're talking about, let's look at this in Revelation 10. Jesus has got one foot on the land. This is Jesus. I'm not going to go into it in detail. But he's got one foot on the land, the other on the sea. At the sounding of the seventh trumpet. There's seven trumpets at the end of time. Revelation 8. When you get into Revelation 8, seven angels have got seven trumpets there. In uh, in verse 2, the first one sounds in verse 7. Let me read the first and second trumpet. The 
first angel sounded and there followed. Remember, a trumpet is a voice. A trumpet is telling you what to do. If you're in the military and you hear that's reveille. If you hear the trumpet go charge and they go then they do that charge da 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 they charge that tells the soldiers what to do. If you hear taps it's time to go to bed. Trumpets are voices. Now let's read here in the first angel sounded. Remember Angel Angelos A G don't ever forget that A G G E L O S means messenger. It means nothing but that. Gabriel is a heavenly messenger. Michael is a heavenly messenger. But if you preach the gospel, you're a heavenly you're a messenger. And you don't have to be preaching to be a messenger. You can be a little boy going next door to a woman saying, My mother wants to borrow a cup of sugar. And that he's a little angel, not because he's a sweet little boy, because he went over there as a messenger. And the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burned up. And the, all the green grass was burnt up. Now, that's, that's verse 7. Verse 7. When you look at verse 4 concerning the scorpions, I explained that reading emails. Scorpion was a false teacher. Uh, the Lord told Ezekiel, Ezekiel the second chapter, you dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words. Scorpions are false teachers. Scorpion is the word scorpios. It is the word S-K-O-R-P-I-O-S. In the Greek, scorpizo is the verb form. Scorpizo is the verb. And that's the word that was used when Jesus said the hireling cares not for the sheep. He allows the wolf to come in and, and scatter the flock. It's the same word as scatter. Then the Lord told Ezekiel, you dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words. They're false teachers. They're not demons. And then he says over here in chapter 9, verse 4, if this compares, they're set right next to each other in my Bible. Verse 7 of chapter 8 and 4 of verse 9, they sit right next to one another. So I'll read, I'll read verse 7, the very end of it. And the third part of the trees was burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And then he says in verse 4 of chapter 8, And it was commanded him that should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree. That was the false teachers. Those scorpions or those locusts were false teachers. God didn't send them to hurt the grass like he did here in verse 7. I believe this has to do with the literal world because he says in verse 8, The second angel sounded as it were a great mountain burning with fire. 
boy, as soon as I read that the first time, immediately my mind goes to Jeremiah, the 50th chapter, 50 and 51st chapter. Go to Jeremiah. Show you a mountain burning with fire. Jeremiah. All right. Go over here to chapter 50. 50. He's talking about the destruction of Babylon. This is an Old Testament picture of Cyrus, king of Persia, destroying Babylon. That's what it's a picture of. And then he says, in verse, in verse 29, call together the archers against Babylon. This is Cyrus, king of Persia. We're talking about, let me show it to you on the board, because you need to see this. Hold on a second here. This is Cyrus coming in from Persia. Persia is the same thing as Iraq. I'm not Iraq. Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan. That is Persia in the ancient world. Iraq is Babylon in the ancient world. Let me get over here to get to my maps. Here is this is the Mediterranean Sea. You enter the Mediterranean at the Strait of Gibraltar with the Rock of Gibraltar on one side and the Point of Africa on the other side. You enter into here and you Mediterranean Sea area was the civilized world in the first century. And you had Rome, which was the beast with iron teeth. You had Greece that had the four generals. Alexander the Great was there, and the four generals were subjugated by Rome. And then before that, you had Persia, which was Iran, not Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and several of the stands. And they overthrew Babylon, which was on the Euphrates River. And Babylon was where the first king Nebuchadnezzar, first biblical king Nebuchadnezzar ruled, not the first king. And the last king was Belshazzar on the Euphrates River. So, uh, Mr. Cyrus came over here and did something they said couldn't be done. They said they couldn't be conquered. And you had the Euphrates, the Tigris River coming down, and meeting just about 100 miles above the Persian Gulf. The Euphrates River, it that was the place of the home of Babylon. Babylon was straddled the river. Euphrates was river was bigger. It was a larger river than Mississippi. It was huge. 
Like, how could you build a city crossing that river? Boy, they had some great engineers at that time. They had a seven-tier bridge going across that river. Seven-tier going over that river so you could walk back and forth. The river ran through Babylon and it ran around Babylon. And they said, we can't be conquered. Our walls are 375 to 80 feet high. And the, and the, the big, uh, in-depth river was about 380 feet deep. They said, we can't be conquered. So Mr. Cyrus said, I'll go here above the river. I'll go here above Babylon. I'll go up here, build a dam, and run the river out into the Arabian Desert. And you could put all the water you want to in the Arabian Desert. And he did that. And they walked down the riverbed and walked in and told Mr. Belshazzar, you're under arrest and you're dying tonight. You can find that in the 44th and 45th chapter of Isaiah. And you can also find it in the book of Herodotus. He was the father of history. And they'll tell you the same exact story. So we're talking about the destruction of Babylon. The destruction of spiritual Babylon, which will be at the end of time. Let me give you this about this about this burning mountain. Look over here. You have to understand what it's talking about. It's talking about Babylon. Babylon said, let us make us a name. The word name is Shem. It means authority. It's the same word as name in the New Testament. Onoma means authority. Let us make up our own authority. Let us make up a, a name. And what they did... They built a system in Babylon that was a parallel system to truth. They had a father of the gods. They actually had a mother of the gods, a mother. They had a trinity in there. They had a son of the gods. And they they simply mimicked truth all the way through this whole system. That's why people can't hardly tell the truth when they see it, unless they are a believer. Then he says here, in verse 29, Call together the archers against Babylon, all ye that bend the bow, camp against it. So this is the attack against Babylon by Cyrus the Persian king. Let none thereof escape. Recompense her according to her work. What was her work built upon? A false doctrine. It was built upon let us make us a name. If you want to build yourself a name in opposition to God's name, anyone who goes out here in, in the music world, in the sports world, to become somebody important, build themselves a name, even in business, 
you want to build yourself a name, you've got to be real popular, and the world has to like you. The Bible says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Woe is a cry of damnation, O-U-A-I. Notice I can't hardly go into teaching any of these without getting into these characters of evil men of the New Testament. Then he says, Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she hath done. Do unto her, for she hath been proud against the Lord. How has she been proud? She's not doing anything in the name of the Lord. It's let us make us a name. That convicted my heart so much when God really began to get a hold of me and get me out of the music world. She's proud. She says, let me make me a name, not let me make God's name. When the Bible says, hallowed be thy name, hallowed is the word hagianzo, H-A-G-I-A-Z-O. It's the same word as sanctify. Hallowed and sanctify are the same word. Hagiazo comes from hagias, which is the word holy. Holy. So what we're saying to God, destroy my name, destroy my authority, and Lord, make your authority holy in my life. You cannot say, hallowed be thy name, if you're not willing to give up your own name. It's, I have learned that some years ago, and I still wrestle with that. If you're not wrestling with it, there's something wrong. He said, she's been proud. Therefore, shall her young men fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off. In that day, saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud. Pride is an evil thing. There's three words for proud in the Greek text. There's the word huperephanos, H-U-P-E-R-E-P-H-A-N-O-S. Comes from huper, meaning above. This is the same thing as let us make us a name. Same thing. It means above, and phanos P-H-A-I-N-O-S. Notice phanos doesn't have, hooper phanos doesn't have an I in it, but it comes from these two words. Hooper means above, phanos means to shine. And the Bible says God resisteth the proud. He resisteth, anti-tassomai is the word resisteth, A-N-T-I-T-A-S-S-O-M-A-I. Anti-tassomai means to wage war with. God's at war with people who lift themselves above others. Well, God resisteth the proud, those that shine above others. You want to shine above in any face, in any place in your life, then you are proud. I'm the best carpenter there is. I know some carpenters is, is as good as there is. Fred's one of the best carpenters I've ever seen. But you can't be proud of that. Let me ask you a question. Who made thee to differ from another? 
who makes you to do different? Herb is a fantastic piano player. But who made him that way? Who gave him the desire to sit down and practice year after year, day after day after day? Where did he get that from? Didn't get it from himself. He is a fantastic keyboard man. That's what we used to call him music. Being his keyboard. He's a super piano player. What's the have that thou didst not receive from God? And if thou didst receive it, why does thy glory as though you didn't get it from God? Whatever you have, the drive. I have had a tremendous drive in my life to do things. I have had a tremendous drive to study the Bible more than anything I've ever done. But where did I get that drive? It has to come from God. One person's not going to get any more reward in heaven than another. You want to compare yourself to the Apostle Paul? We're not going to get crowns in heaven with little gold crowns and they're, 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 they're like the horns of Nimrod with gold and, and diamonds and rubies in it. That's not the crown we're going to get. The word crown, when Paul told the Philippians, you are my joy and crown. He didn't mean you're on top of my head. And I'm walking around with all these Philippians on my head said, everybody stand still up there. You're shaking. The word is Stephanos. S-T-E-P-H-A-N-O-S. We get the word Stephen or Stephanie from that. That means that was an oak leaf that everybody that participated in the games received one. Why would Paul get more reward in heaven than you or I if we're going to the same heaven that he's in? And why would you glorify somebody in heaven? I hear about some people say uh, going to heaven and we're, we're going to look up to them when we get to heaven. One of the backup singers for Elvis said, we're going to be his backup singers forever in heaven. Why? the way people look at other people you're not going to lift up somebody in heaven there's only one going to be lifted up in heaven that's Jesus that's it now let me show you this burning mountain okay and you go over here to the 51st chapter in verse 24 of Jeremiah I will render unto Babylon to all the inhabitants of Chaldea. Chaldea is another name for the mountains around Babylon. And Chaldea, all their evil that they have done in Zion, in your sight. That's an amazing thing. All the evil that they did in in Zion. Zion is the mountain where Jerusalem sits. Zion means sunny. has the same basic meaning as Horizo. Sunny. That's what, that's what Zion means. And what was the evil that Babylon did? Well, generations before Nebuchadnezzar went in because God told him to go in and he scattered southern Judah and took them away into captivity. 
and then he waits till he gets one of the most evil kings that ever lived in that area and that was Belshazzar and he destroyed him and called him evil for what he had done in Zion but it wasn't him it was about four generations before him where Nebuchadnezzar had done this evil too but it was evil that God wanted him to do it Israel because they kept going after those idol gods then he says behold I am against the old destroying mountain what does he mean destroying mountain they have destroyed all the world would let us make us a name that's the wine of their fornication they've talked to the world self oh man how far can I go with self repent Repent means to turn from self and to think differently or turn from that outer man. We're back to the outer man, aren't we? We can't seem to get away from this inner and this outer man. Babylon is the cause of the outer man. You have an inner man, an outer man. The outer man serves the flesh. I didn't say that. Paul said that in Romans 7.25. He says the outer man serves the law of the flesh. The inner man serves the law of God. That's the new birth. That's God birthing himself in us. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God's will. Now, now let's read on here. I'm against the old destroying mountain. There's two mountains in Scripture that we want to talk about today. There is Zion and Babylon. Babylon is called here in this verse a destroying mountain. And it's destroyed the world with its wine of self. Let us make us a name. That's the very essence of all evil in the world. Babylon mothered all idolatry. There's no idolatry in the world. You can trace any any system in the world. You can go to the South Sea Island, Borneo, where they've got all kinds of headhunters and they got people that eat people and they've got volcanoes down there and they'll go and they'll give a young virgin to a volcano to make sure they have crops in the spring it's crazy he says oh destroying mountain you've got Zion that's the mountain of God and you can read about Zion in in uh, Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, the Lord says, Go preach to the mountains of God. He tells Ezekiel, Preach to these mountains. Preach to Zion and Moriah, where they built the temple. Moriah. You got these mountains, which is Jerusalem, are opposing the burning mountain. Or God's going to cause it to burn. Burning mountain. And look at this verse. Immediately when I saw that verse, the first time I ever saw it in Revelation, the 8th chapter, I thought of this verse right here. 
saith the Lord, O destroying mountain, saith the Lord, which destroys all the earth, will let us make us a name. And I will stretch out mine hand upon thee and roll down, roll thee down from the rocks and will make thee a burnt mountain. Ah. Oh, back over here to, back over here to Revelation 8 chapter verse 8. And the second angel sounded and a great mountain burning with fire. Now you're going to find Babylon throughout Scripture. You're going to find her demise and her destruction by Cyrus. You're going to find her in in Isaiah, the 13th chapter. Actually, Isaiah, the 11th chapter. You're going to find her in Isaiah, the 13th chapter. You're going to find Babylon's destruction, the fourteenth chapter. This is this is different different accounts of when Babylon is destroyed. You're going to find her destruction in Jeremiah, the fiftieth and the fifty-first chapter. This is Babylon going down, and when Babylon is, goes down, she always. She's a burning mountain going into the sea. Always sinking into the sea. That is, you will not find something happening in one part of the Bible and you find it happening somewhere else in the Bible where they're disassociated. That's never true. Let me show you something that's very, very... I'll kind of work my way through this. Look over here in Mark. In Mark, the 11th chapter. Mark 11. And... Mark 11, verse 23. Now, this is a chapter that the Charismatics just pull completely out of context. They don't keep it in the context of Scripture. Verse 23, they start with this verse, but you can't start with it. So I'll start with where they start. For verily I send you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain... Boy, it must be talking about either Babylon or Zion. It has to be talking about Babylon. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. That's where Babylon always ends up, in the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith, shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, this word, and then he says, in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Now, the Charismatics say that means cars and houses and Cadillacs and town cars and... No. No, 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 no. 
Therefore send you what things wherever you desire. Desire is the word A-I-T-E-O. Iteo is a legal term. It's a legal term in 1 John 3, 22. We receive the things that we desire. Except it doesn't say desire, it says ask. Ask and desire the same word, Iteo. Ask is a legal term. A legal term. It actually comes from the word A-I-T-E-M-A, which is the exact same word. It's a legal term that Pilate used when he said of Jesus, I find no fault, no legal reason to put him to death. I find no fault in him. So if we receive the things that we desire, we have to keep his commandments. And this word desire here is the same word as ask. Same exact word. How are you going to know that? I keep telling everybody, you need to get one of these word study concordances. You look up your English word in the in a strong exhaustive concordance, and you take that number and look it up here, and it'll tell you every time that word is mentioned. When you look up this word ask, it'll tell you Iteo, and then it'll have right after it Itema. And it'll tell you every time it'll tell you it comes from the word Iteo. This is a miracle book. If you can find one, it's worth any amount of money you can give for. Upside of Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, this is my second favorite book. I use it all the time. And that's why I tell you these things come from these other words. I team, uh, I find no fault in him. We receive the things that we ask if we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. The word pleasing is the word A-R-E-S-K-O. What is it that's pleasing in his sight? Pleasing means pleasing. In Romans 12 and 1, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He might as well have said, a living sacrifice on a daily cross, death daily. A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Holy, acceptable is the word E-U-A-R-E-S-T-O-S. It means well Oresco. Well-pleasing is death to self. You have to be dying daily to give your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, to get rid of this outer man. That outer man, you can't get rid of him if you're human. The only thing that can get rid of the outer man is Christ.
That's the only thing. When he works with you and sends trials and persecution, notice how I can't even get away from this inner and this outer man teaching about Babylon. Babylon is what this outer man says, let us make us a name. Let us make ourselves a name. And it goes against the inner man, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So God puts you through trials and persecution and tribulation until one day you say, Lord, I give up, I surrender. You don't get rid of your sin one day. I've said it at least a hundred times. You got two men in you. Paul said so all through Romans 7. He said so all through the... Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Colossians, the third chapter. He talks about put on the inner man. You got to get rid of the outer man, but it takes God's trial, persecution, tribulation. You might have to lose your house, lose your car, and go through all of this. And one day you'll wake up and say, God, I give up. I'm going to quit trying to make myself a name, and I'm going to live for you the way you want me to. I know everybody hasn't done that all of a sudden, have you? You want to lie to me until you have? <laughs> it took, I was in my 60s before I started throwing my hands there and say, I surrender, Lord. I, I'm not going to fight you or anybody else anymore. If you raise somebody up against me, it's, it's to get rid of me. It's, my biggest enemy in the world has been Jim Brown. That's been the biggest enemy I've ever had. Have you ever come to the realize that yet? I'm not talking about your biggest enemy is me. <laughs> your biggest enemy is you. <laughs> Can you understand that? So, we receive things that are pleasing in His sight if we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Let's finish this up here. What's he talking about here? He's talking about going into Jerusalem. The whole subject starts back here earlier. It starts back here in, in verse... I'm in the wrong chapter, excuse me. Okay, here we are. It starts back in verse 12. This whole concept starts in verse 12, not in verse 23. Another word starts. Verse 12. On the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves. Now that don't mean much to you. But if you go into McClinic and Strong and look up fruit trees, you'll learn this. When Jesus was seeing a tree afar off having leaves, you have to understand something about the fig tree. Pre-season figs came on first. Pre-season figs. And then came the early fruits. But the fruits came on before the pre-season figs. And then the regular figs came on after the leaves. You had the pre-season figs, then you had leaf season, 
Let me reset. I'm going to confuse you. You had preseason figs. Preseason figs. Then you had leaf season. And then you had regular figs come on. So Jesus sees this tree afar off. And it has leaves, and he's expecting it to have preseason figs. So let's read that. See, see, he's not stupid, he's God. And seeing fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if happily he might find anything thereon like preseason figs. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. That sounds like the time for the tree to bear figs wasn't yet. Doesn't it sound like that? Huh? Somebody tell me. Doesn't it sound like that? It's not what it says. It's not even what it means. Time of figs meant fig harvest. They have not been harvested. So it had to be harvest season since Jesus was God. You think he knew what season it was? I guess he did. <laughs> so he wasn't puzzled at what he found. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. That, that wasn't the only fig tree there. They were at Bethany, house of figs. There were hundreds of fig trees there. But he goes to this one to teach the apostles a lesson. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. So he said, see, you're not supposed to buy and sell in the temple. Yes, you are. Jews from every nation under heaven had to come to, to all those festivals to Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Eden, everything over a seven-month period. And they had to come from all over the world. Everybody was not a was not a shepherd. They had men that worked in the marketplace, men that were blacksmiths, men that were farmers, but they weren't shepherds, so they had to buy a lamb when they come to the temple to offer as the prescribed sacrifice. Either that or they had to bring bring three shekels and the that was the price of a lamb. Nothing wrong with buying a lamb because Jews are coming from all over the world. The problem was with the money changers. They said you had to buy a lamb with Jewish temple money. And the standard exchange for money through the world was Roman money. So they would say, you've got to give us Roman money for so many shekels of Jewish money. And they were cheating them, stealing from them, maybe giving them 60 cents on the dollar, maybe 50 cents on the dollar. And when you do that, they were lying and cheating. See, Jesus said, my father's house is a house of prayer, and you made it a den of thieves. Not because they were buying and selling lambs, because they were cheating people on their money. If you go into Canada, I've been across the border into Canada when I was singing, and you've got to exchange money going into Canada. 
and you get less you get more money in Canadian money but when you come back you got to exchange it for far less money it was the money changers that Jesus was angry at so and he overthrew the table of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves the doves were for the poor people and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, It is written, My, my house shall be called a, a nations, of all nations a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves, you money changers. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought, and sought how they might destroy Jesus. For they feared him. I couldn't figure out why is he putting this for the longest time. He went into the temple to cleanse the temple. And he's about to tell Peter and the apostles, you need to cleanse your opinion from your mind. Because Peter had to let us make us a name attitude. He always did have, didn't he? <laughs> Peter kept his foot in his mouth up to his knee. He had the cleanest leg in town. Then he's, and because all the people were astonished at his doctrine, and when even was come, he went out of the city. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And all Peter could think of was Deuteronomy. That's all he could think of. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto Jesus, Master, eat day, I-D-E. That's a cry of, of surprise. You killed a fruit tree. That's against the law. Don't you know that, Jesus? It's against the law according to Deuteronomy 20, but not Leviticus 19. You gotta know the you gotta know both verses. Behold, the fig tree which thou cursedest is withered away. And Jesus said unto them have faith in God I'm God I know how the tree is not bearing fruit if it's five years old or older you're supposed to lay the axe to the root of the tree and kill it it's covering the ground it's wasting the ground's time where do you get that out of Deuteronomy 20 that's when Jesus said, if you'll say to this mountain, you've got a whole Babylonian attitude in you, Peter. You come up and you think you know more than I know about that big tree. Look over here in Deuteronomy 20. You can't pick this verse out without looking at the whole concept of it. Deuteronomy 20. This is the only thing that Peter could think of. All he could think of. Starting in verse 19. When thou shalt besiege a city a long time, and making war against it, 
Thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them. But he's not talking about any trees. For thou mayest eat of them. It's against God's law to kill a fruit tree. This is what Peter was thinking of. Had to be. And thou shalt not cut them down. For the tree of the field is man's life. To employ them in the siege. Only the trees which thou knowest that they be not trees for food. Thou shalt destroy and cut them down. And thou shalt build bulwarks against the city that maketh war with thee until it be subdued. You can't break, cut down a tree, a fruit tree for a battering ram. You can't do that. It's God's law. That's what Peter had in mind. But there's only one problem with that. In Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. Verse 23. When ye shall come into the land and shall have planted all manner of trees for food, then ye shall count the fruit therefore thereof as uncircumcised for three years shall it be uncircumcised unto you and it shall not be eaten of it belongs to God those first three years reminds me when flowers start blooming in our garden or something Mary will go out there and the first time I saw her do this I said what are you doing she's plucking the blooms off the flowers she said if you pull the blooms off They'll flourish the next year. But in the fourth year, all the fruit thereof shall be holy and praise the Lord withal. So you can't eat of it in the fourth year, not until you get to the fifth year. Peter seemed to have forgotten all this. And in the fifth year shall you eat of the fruit thereof, that is, may be the increase unto you, the increase thereof, I am the Lord your God. But if it's not bearing fruit by the fifth year, lay the axe to the root of the tree and cut it down. That's exactly what John the Baptist was preaching on the Jordan River baptizing. And he compared the, the Pharisees with the leaves, but they had no fruit. Cut them down. Now look over here in John 8. And John 8. And John 8. That's why Jesus said what he said here. Excuse me, Luke 13, excuse me. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Luke 13. 
Luke 13. Verse 6, And Jesus spake a parable unto the apostles. A certain man had a fig tree. Oh, back to the same subject. Planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And he said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years, three years, I came seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? It's just wasting time. And the man said, he answered and said to him, Lord, let it alone this year till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not that fourth year, then after that, cut it down. So Peter didn't know, have any idea what he's talking about, did he? Why? Well, he was a young apostle. He was brand new. Oh, ye of little faith, Peter. Every time God turned around, he'd say that. Now, look over here. Go back over here to... I was talking to you about every time Babylon comes down, it sinks into the sea. Look at Jeremiah 51. <coughs> You've got to learn to look at things figuratively. Look at Jeremiah 51. This is the end of Babylon in Jeremiah 51. It's when God blocks up, God has has Cyrus block up the Euphrates. You're going to find the Euphrates dried up in the Old Testament and the Euphrates dried up in the New. It has to do with, all has to do with let us make us a name or economy. God's going to send famine. I believe famine's going to come up on America. Now here he says in Jeremiah 51 starting here in verse 60 so Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come upon Babylon. She's going to sink. Even all these words that are written against Babylon. This is the same time factor as Isaiah 13, as, as Jeremiah, Jeremiah 44 and 45, where Cyrus is coming in and destroying everything and Jeremiah and Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come up on Babylon even all these words that are written against Babylon and Jeremiah said unto Sarahiah Sarahiah is a prophet when thou comest to Babylon and shalt when thou comest to Babylon and shalt see and shalt read all these words in the ears of the Babylonian people then shalt thou say, O Lord, thou, thou hast cut against this place, spoken against this place, and cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it should be desolate forever. He says that in the previous chapter. He says that 
that Babylon will never be inhabited again. He says that in chapter 50, verse 39, Therefore the wild beast of the desert with the wild beast of islands shall dwell there, and the owl shall dwell there when Babylon is destroyed, and it shall be no more inhabited forever. That's why God destroyed Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein said, I'm going to rebuild Babylon, ancient Babylon on the Euphrates River. God said, no, you're not, and he had him killed. He says the same thing in the 13th chapter of Isaiah. When Babylon comes down, it'll never be inhabited again. When Saddam Hussein said he's going to rebuild it, God said, we'll see how you rebuild it when you're dead. I don't care how he died. That was God that did it. Then we go back over to chapter 52. That I have spoken against this place to cut it off in verse 62. Neither to cut off from it that none shall remain, neither man nor beast, that it be desolate forever. Babylon will never rise up again. Old Testament Babylon went down. New Testament Babylon goes down. That's a worldwide system of let us make us a name or self. And it shall be, verse 63, when thou hast made an end of reading this book to the Babylonians, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates, and thou shalt say, so shall Babylon sink. It always sinks into the sea, into the deep. Shalt not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her. She's never going to rise again. Other than, other than a spiritual Babylon, an evil spiritual Babylon. And they shall be worried thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Now, let's go over here. Babylon has to sink. Let's go over to Mark. Or go to Matthew, the 8th chapter. Anywhere you find something sinking into the sea that's evil, it's a Babylonian system. It would take me a while to explain this. How much time do I have, Mike? I'm not going to explain all this. I'll just read it to you and come back. Because this is a long, long situation. In Matthew 8, In Mark 5 and Luke 8, you've got what people call the demoniac. The Bible says this man was possessed with devils. The word devil is demonion, D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. Possessed with devils is one word in the Greek. It's one word. Demonizomai, D-A-I-M-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Demonizomai means to be insane. That 
was all that's wrong with the guy when you go to Mark 5. He's running through the tomb, screaming and cutting himself. If some guy's running through some cemetery, cutting himself all and screaming, would you think he's crazy? I would. He was nuts. And then when he, the same man in Luke 8, the Bible says, when he came to his right mind, after Jesus had cast out this insanity into the swine, cast out the man's insanity. The guy wanted to keep the swine there because he wanted to talk to his ancestors through them. I don't have time to go through all that. And gastromuthos was the word bottle in the Septuagint. It was the word bottle in the, it was the word ob familiar spirit was the word ob it means a bottle familiar your spirit means bottle ob owb what this man had in him he had something that opposed god he had let us make us a name he was frustrated he was living in a world of all kinds of curses. They would put curses on each other. They would say when they had anything wrong, if they had epilepsy, they would call it a demon. They called all of their gods by the term of demons. When Jesus said, what is your name? That's not what he said. He said, what is this fellowship that you're fellowshipping with? The guy said, legion. I'm nuts. He said, legion. A legion of soldiers was 3,000 to 6,000 Roman soldiers in one army. He said, I got 3,000 to 6,000 demons in me. And who told him that? Where did he find that out? Did he go to the local seminary and take a demonology course or what? His, his, His society told him he had demons. If you had anything wrong, they said, you got demons in you. Jesus never said they had demons. He didn't say the man had demons. The man said it. Well, I want to show you what happened to this man in the book of... When Jesus said, okay, I'll take this insanity that's in you and put it into pigs. Watch them kill themselves. An animal can't handle this desire for self that we have in us. You put what we've got in us into an animal, it'll kill itself. Here in verse 32 of chapter 8 of Matthew, he said unto them, or so the devils besought him in verse 31. There were two men here. There were two men here. There's one that he dealt with in Mark 5 and Luke 8. One of them. He didn't deal with both of them. So the demons, Daemonion, besought him saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go into the herd of swine. Swine is the word boar. That's a male pig. And the most famous boar in the ancient world was Osiris, the sun god of Egypt. They said when you died, you got to go be with a great boar in the heavens somewhere. And he said unto them, Go, and when they came out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea. 
into the sea. That's where Babylon, the Babylonian attitude goes into the sea. And it's always a burnt mountain. He says the same thing in Mark, the fifth chapter. The swine ran down into the sea. It says in the eighth chapter of Luke, they ran down into the pit. But it's the sea, that's what it is. It's the sea where Babylon is destroyed. And then I've got to get you over to... Do I have any time? Five minutes, I'll just read you a couple of verses out of Revelation 18. Revelation 18. talking about Babylon is fallen is fallen means she fell twice it means she fell in the Old Testament in the New Testament when she falls I can't read all this I don't have time I'll just read down here in Revelation 18 it's talking about Babylon and the kings of the earth, verse 9, who have committed fornication, live deliciously with Babylon, shall bewail her and lament her when they shall see the smoke of this burning mountain. You get it? Connects it with the old. And then over here in verse 21, talking about Babylon going down, talks about the smoke of her burning in verse 18. And cried when they saw the smoke of the burning of Babylon. What city is like unto this great city? And then she's cast into the sea in verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it in the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. When she sinks into the sea and she's burning. You know what's burning? Let us make us a name. Self. Self, it will be finally destroyed. When we get our new bodies, there's not going to be a desire to fulfill our flesh, so we're not going to have any. What are we going to be made of? I don't know. Anything's better than this. Formica would be better than this. This gets you in trouble. I hope you can see that. And it talks about all the merchandise of Babylon in that ancient world in verse 18. Merchandise is economy. Economy means everything's going down. I believe the world is going down. I don't believe it's going to survive. We're all going to go into a state of starvation or hunger somewhere in the world. I just don't believe this world is going to last much longer. Babylon is going to... Then you've got the end of Babylon, the 11th chapter of, of Isaiah. You've got the end of Babylon in the 36th chapter and the 38th chapter of Isaiah. I mean, of Ezekiel, excuse me. Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 38. Babylon goes down in Isaiah 11. You got the end of time all through the Bible. And it has to do with the burning of Babylon sinking into the sea. It shows the total annihilation and destruction. I've got so much more to say on this, I didn't get to everything. It has to do with
getting rid of the outer man. And God has given to the believer the inner man. And only he can cause the outer man to desist or to stop existing. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, I'm just, I have a desire to part and be with Christ. When I die, which won't be too long from now, my body's getting worn out. I want to go be with Jesus. I really do. I'm really tired. I'm tired of fighting anybody. If you want to fight, you fight somebody else. I'm not in the fight no more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. I pray for the church, for the elect, those that are here that want to know the truth. I pray that you'll teach them how they have to get rid of self, which is the outer man. It's just it's just repentance, Lord. Thank you for everything you do. I thank you for the Word of God and letting us see, letting us see the picture of it. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the trials and the tribulation. Lord, it was so hard living in that outer man. I didn't realize how hard it was. Thank you for your defense of me by getting rid of me. Thank you for everything. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And help the church, Lord. Well, I hope you're seeing how this Babylonian system is nothing but the outer man.